Welcome back to In Search of Tarot, a podcast that examines, questions, and reimagines our approach to life and the cards. Through guest interviews and in-depth discussions, we'll explore and expand the beautiful complexities of spirituality, philosophy, magic, and more. I'm Nick. And I'm Angie. And we're your hosts for this fascinating ride. Thanks for being here with us. Today's guest is Ari Felix, a multidisciplinary philosopher and mystic dedicated to living in veneration of the planetary ancestors, including the Earth. Their work is about emotional transmutation, dreaming new worlds, and building those worlds through visionary power and spiritual freedom. They have worked with spiritual practitioners, movement leaders, healers, creators, and artists of all kinds for over a decade. If you enjoy this interview and all the interviews we host here on In Search of Tarot, we invite you to leave us a rating and review on whatever platform you're listening on. You can also support this podcast financially on patreon.com slash in search of tarot. Geographically, I'd like to shout out the River Valley of Pennsylvania. I live like a few blocks up from a river. And being here has informed me and my work so deeply over the last uh, year and some months. And so I, I'm like in the energetic field of a river, like the, the biological and like physical impact of a river, it spans at least one mile beyond the border of the water itself. Mm. And so you're just like in this currency of like the ecosystem of the river when you Mm. live close to it. And so that's where I am. And I am someone who is extraordinarily grateful and proud to be born into the indigenous reality, creating reality Jedi lineage that I come from. There's so much chaos magic in my lineage and so much like, just like destruction and just this really primordial void kind of energy. And that's been like such a painful place, but I feel like who I am is someone who's like born out of that primordial void and is like apprenticing how to navigate that void and how to create, not just destroy from that void. Mm-hmm. I love that. Do you know... Um... I can't remember if it's Shostakovich, but do you know the Firebird music at all? That they, they used it in the Fantasia 2000. Um, no. What you just described made me think of that. Maybe you should like give that a listen. I wonder yeah, how, you, I how you feel will. about that. Yeah, I come from the ballet world. So sometimes those those pieces like come to my mind, but um, mm-hmm. yeah, it feels like very primordial, but like creative and powerful. Um, mm-hmm. Also, I think it's interesting that you mention a river because um, that's an image that has really been coming to me right now. I feel like, mm. and this is why, this is part of why I was so um, appreciative uh, and happy to find your world building work that we're going to talk about because I think I'm like on the precipice right now of moving out of a place of critique and into a place of like creation, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and it feels, very exciting but also kind of like like wandering around in the dark you know like not quite knowing where to go 
Um, and the image of a river came to me and I was like, that's what I feel like. I feel like I'm crossing a river. Like, I feel like mm. I'm, I'm leaving this side of the land that I, that I'm used to, but that's not working for me anymore. And I'm going to this like other foreign mm. place that I'm not sure what I'm going to find there, you know? Um, so I love that a river mm-hmm. that you talked about a river, you know, mm-hmm. sets of swords. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Crossing um, the waters. Yeah, totally. Um, so, yeah. So, you know, there, there is something about your writing that I think is so vibrant and alive and, um, and I'm wondering, you know, who and where and what you would describe as being influences towards that over the years um, and just how you would trace the path that's led you where you are today, just in your in your work. I love the question about the writing lineage specifically. My first um, writing teacher is my six-year-old self. That's when I started journaling. <laughs> And I like draw these little stick figures of what had happened in the day. (laughs) (laughs) And that's still my drawing capacity until this day. Um, But yeah, I started writing so young, which is like really wild now, you know, that I think about it. Like I barely even knew words, you know, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but I was just like, I have to do this. I had a Veggie Tales journal Mm -hmm. that had like a little (laughs) lock on it. (laughs) Um, yeah, so my, the part of me that established a writing practice from an early age is definitely my, I think my deepest writing lineage teacher. Um, and then I'm, you know, God, every book I've ever read, right. Every film I've ever watched, I'm like so fascinated with film and media because of the minds of writers, Mm -hmm. because it all emerges from the minds of writers, you know, for the most part. And so right now who's coming to mind is Adrian Marie Brown. I feel like finding their work and their style really gave me permission to bring that part of myself even more public versus looking at writing, you know, coming out of school, you're looking at writing in a very like linear kind of academic way, mm-hmm. you know, and I didn't go to like college, but high school is enough to like grind that shit into you, you know, Yeah, yeah. where you're just like, do, 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 you know, opening paragraph, you know, like blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Um and so finding finding writers like Adrian who are writing about like deep complex topics in simple poetic like kind of like very approachable ways mm-hmm. really began to open me up and that was in 2017 and at that point I was already like a paid writer like I was already that's how I was making my income mm-hmm. um so before that I think it's hard to trace sometimes because I sample so many things Like, I'm so curious about how people are writing, how people are thinking, how people are constructing ideas and concepts. And so for my work in general, um, but especially my writing, it's like difficult to trace because I've gone through so many iterations of my own writing style, my own form of writing and how I'm using writing. Mm -hmm. And I was very protective for a long time because I knew I'm, I know about myself that I can be very open formerly I would have called that susceptible to influence. (laughs) And so I had the marvelous wisdom like throughout my teen years and my early twenties to be super protective and not take in too much of other people's writing, other people's, um, you know, ideas so that I could be in the freedom of developing my own. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a period where there's like, wasn't really anyone informing, you know, directly, I'm sure indirectly Uh, Absolutely. But there wasn't anyone directly informing that process. And then like, 
yeah, 2017 would have been heading into my mid twenties. I started to like really take in more input. I trusted my own voice a little more enough Mm -hmm. to like be able to take an input without it, um, without losing myself and losing my voice. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And then I also, I want to shout out Bio Komalafe, who is one of my favorite philosophers and the way he writes and the way he constructs ideas definitely influences me at this point. But I think I'm still protective in a way, you know? So I feel like while I'm sampling ideas and concepts and other people's work, I have like a firm boundary with how much it seeps in. And like when it when it seeps in, I name it, you know, I'm like, this idea is this person's, this, this wording is this person's. Um, yeah, I think I'll stop there with that. I think that's really interesting that you, well, first of all, I love that you call it sampling ideas. I think that's a, a cool way to like, think about it, you know? And, and um, I think that's interesting that you had the ability to know, to kind of protect yourself, like when maybe in your younger Um, stages, you were more like porous, you know, because for me, and I think for a lot of people, like it kind of is the opposite where as I was first starting out, I was sampling a lot of ideas and trying a lot of things. And it's only been very recently, really specifically with my tarot work, where I feel like I've started to be like, okay, I think I know how I do this. You know, I think, I think I'm starting to find like my way in this. So I think that's cool that you have kind of gone in the reverse a little bit. That's how I do most things <laughs> backwards. <laughs> um, yeah. And you write fairly often in your work, you write about God. Um, and so, and a lot of times you'll equate that with the sun in astrology. And I'm would love to hear um, like who or what you think of as being God. That's such an interesting reflection because I didn't even notice that I was making that correlation like often enough to be visible. Mm-hmm. Um, but I recently entered a sun year, a solar year astrologically. And so they've definitely come to the forefront in my consciousness. So it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, God is, I'm like running through all the cliche things that are coming up in my head. Yeah. <laughs> like God is everything. God is love, you know, God is life force. Um, but I, I'll, I guess to kind of zoom in on one facet of the prism, And then God is a prism. Mm -hmm. Um, I'll talk about like God, God through the sun. It's like this uh, awareness of all that is, Mm -hmm. you know, it's not, not just all that is, but the awareness of all that is, Mm -hmm. it feels very God to me and it's both. Right. But to, to add that layer of like, it's not, it's not just what's happening or what is it's, it's the awareness that this is happening and this is in this moment, that now moment consciousness is mm-hmm. God. Like I was, I was on my mat doing my stretches earlier and I just like was counting and just that repetition of counting brought me into a state of presence that felt so good. And I was like, oh yeah, this is like connecting to God. It's mm-hmm. like connecting to the now moment is connecting to God. And this is like, it's such an ancient principle. And like, you know, I think what's cute about humans is that we find 1 million ways, which are actually probably can be boiled down to the same five ways. to like experience God or define God or, you know, get Mm -hmm. into that, like that now moment consciousness of God. Um, And and I really value this, 
like being in this relationship, being in this definition with God, because I come from a very religious, very strict background. Mm. And so being able to take God off of his throne, right. And out of his kingdom Mm -hmm. and like allow God to just kind of orgasm and permeate everything like Mm -hmm. that. I'm so grateful to, to be a recipient of that kind of now moment consciousness. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, oh man, I love that. I love, and it made me think of the emperor, which has kind of been on my Mm -hmm. mind lately actually. And what's interesting is what came to me as you said that is like, yeah, like the emperor slash God, like probably would love to come off that throne, you know, like, <laughs> like, like how that'd be so kind of, of us to like, you know, be like, yes, take my hand and let me, let me give you a break. You know, here's a field to run and play in, like take the weight off of your shoulders, you know, like release, like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Cause when we have all that weight on God's shoulders, cause we're like personifying God into this very like responsible, like kind of figure Mm-hmm. It's just a projection of what we're doing to ourselves. We're like, okay, well now we have to please God. Now we have to do X, Y, Z to like be in- connected with God. You know, it's just like, it literally is always a projection. There's no mm-hmm. getting away from it. Mm-hmm. Totally. And I think in that world building one Oh, uh, like 1.0, uh, class that I took, um, you invited us to be, I think you said to be inside of God. Is that how you put it? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Talk, talk a little bit about that, about what made you phrase it in that way versus like to be God. Mm, I'd love to know what made me phrase it in that way, in that moment. I have no idea. (laughs) Um, But circling back to it from this moment, it's like how your heart, which funnily enough is associated with the sun. So I see what you're saying, Nick, about (laughs) what I do. Um, It's like your heart's in your body. And it's like pumping blood, right? It's it's keeping you alive. And if you were to imagine like even just focusing on your heartbeat, even just zooming in on your heartbeat, and then like imagining you're inside of your heart, you're inside of that pulsating life force, you're inside of that eternal like contraction and expansion of the multiverse, that contraction and expansion of this dimension, that's what I feel like being inside of God is it's like being inside the experience of life and being inside the experience of presence Mm -hmm. and being inside the experience of connection. That languaging gives us a way to position ourselves as non-separate, right? Because when you're in something, you're in it and it's kind of like enveloping you, you're surrounded, you're contained within it Mm -hmm. versus God being something that's outside of the self that you have to kind of like come out out of inside of yourself to connect with this other external thing mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know but I, like what if you're like already in it right yeah and I also feel again like the weight taken off of me in that phrasing because I feel held you know by the idea of being like inside God rather than being God myself or you know like to be amongst God you know like feels mm-hmm. more communal and and um more like in a relationship you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um which is nice um you also say that your superpower is shining a light speaking of the sun shining yeah. a light <laughs> on parts of people that they can't see um and I'd love to hear you talk more about that illuminating right that's just basic fact it's daytime sun's everywhere lights everywhere even if it's overcast those clouds are brighter because of the sun, right? Mm-hmm. There's just this, this, that's the power of awareness. And so 
to shine a light on what's unseen is to kind of like bring the sun, bring that solar awareness into the subconscious. So it's kind of like trying to look at your ass, you know, you need a mirror to really look at your ass. And that's what I'm thinking of when I say like shining a, a spotlight on the part of you that you can't see. Mm-hmm. Like we all have that, you know, like, and it can feel vulnerable to be like, no, I, I'm very aware of all of me. You know, I'm very aware of like my tendencies and my limitations and my gifts and da da da. But we're always in relationship with the unconscious or the subconscious or the subterranean, you know, and we all need a mirror to see our own ass and not in the like, you know, derogatory way of like, oh, see how you're fucking up, see how you're like, you know not who you say you are or whatever. Um, But just to see like that ass, (laughs) I guess I should have asked if it's okay to curse. Um, Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Too late now. Um, (laughs) That ass is supporting you, right? It's your root. It has your, your, um, your coccyx. It has like this, it all this energy of like bringing you down into earth, you know? And so when someone's illuminating what brings you down into earth, like how your God self, how your dream self, how your awareness, how who you are is grounding in this reality and operating in this reality. That's so helpful because we can't always see that. We can't always see how it is, who we are, who we're being and how it is that's impacting our environment, our reality, our choices, et cetera. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? It does. I, I so I'm like a, a baby astrologer. Um, nice. Yeah. So, so, you know, as you talk about this to me and because I am a Leo rising too, I think it's interesting that you um, ha- are, are interested in doing this work with people because I wonder how you feel like if you feel like for a Leo rising, it's easy to see our own ass because like the reason I'm asking that is like, I mean, on the one hand, I think we know that our ass looks great, but like on (laughs) on the, on the other hand, I don't know that a Leo rising is leading with the parts that they can't see. You know what I mean? Like the Leo, Leo rising is really knowing what, what it can see and like wanting to like put that out there, you know? So that sort of shadow work side I don't know. Mm. Yeah. How do you feel as a Leo rising about like, how's that been for you over the course of your life? Like getting to know those parts of you that, that maybe you couldn't see, you know, at first. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's definitely really informed by my, my own natal chart, right. And like where my sun is, the sign it's in the things it's doing with other planets that give it, you know, it's in a water sign, it's in Scorpio, it's in the bottom of the chart. It's like, also near the IC, which is like the root point of the chart. So it has all these things that are bringing it into the underneath realm. Mm -hmm. And like, because, because I'm a Leo rising, because that's my chart ruler, because the planet that rules your ascendant is your, rules your chart. It's, uh, it's kind of like a compulsion, you know, it's like Mm -hmm. to put it in like fatalistic language, just for fun. I'm forced to, to be in there. Right. I'm forced to look at that. So like, that's been my primary occupation. Like I'm always, and that's part of why I started a journaling practice so young, you know, not to say when I was six, I was thinking about my subconscious. Right. But like, that's what it became eventually. Like just this compulsion to like, I need to put myself somewhere so I can see myself so I can then like take it apart or put it back together or whatever, Mm -hmm. you know? And so I think it like, I wouldn't say that Leo risings are more prone to being able to do that for themselves or other people. Mm -hmm. But I think what Leo risings in general um, 
have is that solar power, which is going to illuminate what you're illuminating, what you're shining a light on. That's distinct to each person, right? Each person's Mm -hmm. life, their upbringing, their chart, whatever, you know? And so for me, it's like been a process of coming to accept that that's what I shine a light on. And like, that's been a thing that I have learned the hard way through relationships of like, oh, why does being myself seem to bring up these things in other people? Mm-hmm. You know, it's because without being like fully aware of it, right? What I can't see, I couldn't see my own superpower, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, without being aware of it, I just had this like propensity or this tendency towards being like, oh, have you noticed this? You know, and usually the answer is no, because it's a subterranean thing. It's a subconscious thing. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it's definitely been, it's been an underworld process for me, you know, to even connect to my solar power in the first place. That took a long time to then like really delve into, you know, what we call shadow work or subconscious work being, you know, the underworld, whatever you want to call it, really delve into that with, with bravery and with rigor that took time, you know? Yeah. So it's definitely been like layering and layering on top of itself, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's only recently that I've been, that's kind of crystallized into that clarity of like what my superpower is. And just to give like an example in relationships, like part of how having that clarity affects my relationships is that I have to know that I won't be able to be intimate with people who aren't willing or interested to see the subconscious, the unconscious, who aren't willing to look at their own ass and not in some way of like, you have to let me read you for filth every day, (laughs) you know, but just in some way of like, I need to be intimate with people who are also intimate with themselves in that way who are also in that process because otherwise it like creates too much incongruence and then I feel rejected or I'm like trying to compartmentalize that part of myself and be like oh that part of myself is for work only like people pay me to like shine a mirror or hold a mirror up to them and shine a light on them Mm -hmm. like don't bring that home you know like Mm -hmm. I was doing I tried to do that throughout my 20s like let's separate these two things and now I'm like that's (laughs) does not work (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) I understand um yeah, so let's talk about world building now. Um, how would you describe what world building is to people that might be new to it? Yeah, so um, since the early 1900s, I believe, maybe closer to the mid, world building is considered, it was, well, it is considered a term that describes what writers do, specifically writers of fiction and fantasy, where they have to create a world for their characters to live in in a book. Um, and now in like shows and movies and whatever. And so that is exactly how I'm applying world building, but in a mystical and metaphysical sense. It's like, how are you designing the world that your character lives in? Mm-hmm. And how are you like imagining the world, right? To create Star Wars, to create Star Trek, to create the Chronicles of Narnia, to create the Golden Compass, like all of these very like established you know, fictional worlds, um, Game of Thrones, you know, mm-hmm. you have to have a lot of clarity as be like, here are the characters, here's what happens in this world, here are the rules of this world, here's how this world engages with other worlds or not. You have to like do all of that design work. And that's what I do with people with their own lives. That's what world building means to me. 
Um, so I kind of like took something out of the genre that it <laughs> normally belongs in, mm-hmm. um, which I think is cool. Like, why not expand it? You know, and I think also I'm a writer, you know, so of course I it's like an exciting term to use. I don't write fiction, but as I write, I think I've always written in that kind of way of like, I'm speaking from my experience that I'm having right now as a character and like how I'm engaging with this world. And like, I know that that's going to change or evolve Mm -hmm. or develop Mm -hmm. and I'll get more and more clear on my world and this world through my writing practice. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just kind of taking that and augmenting it into this can apply to the broader vision of your life. You know, this can apply to every area of your life. Mm-hmm. To put it succinctly in like a tagline kind of way, world building is embodying your world creating power. Mm-hmm. You know, so if you want to sit down and write fiction, but you have a maladaptive imagination practice, meaning you don't use your imagination, you're afraid to use your imagination, you're not connected with your imagination, it's going to be very hard to write fiction at all, <laughs> right? And so it's the same thing with designing your life or like even just being a participant in your life, right? That's not just like, I'm here existing at the whim of everyone else's decisions, you know, based on Mm -hmm. what they want to do and what they want to create and blah, blah, blah. So to embody your world, creating power means to embody your imaginative faculties and to implement them. All right. So not to just stay in the imaginal realm or the dream realm, as I call it, but to bring that down to earth. And that's why the kind of shining a light on the part of you you can't see is helpful because that that part of you is what is here down on earth. You know, it's like it is really dense, you know, and so to be in relationship with the subconscious, to be in relationship with yourself as you're moving through the material world. Allow gives you information about what is my imaginative capacity? Do I allow myself to dream? Am I connected with my dream self? You know, have I locked them away in a prison Mm -hmm. as most of us have because of the conditioning of capitalism? You know, have I put them away and been like, that's cute or like you're fun for hobbies or I'll bring you out for this specific project. So world building is for me bringing the dream self, putting the dream self in the driver's seat. Mm-hmm. And having all the other parts of ourselves, like the pragmatic part and the strategic part and like da 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 support the vision of the dream self, mm-hmm. because that's what reality is. It's a dream. Yeah, It's yeah. like all fucking made up. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. And I mean, that's what I think is important because I think when people first encounter this, it might be easy to kind of be like, well, this feels escapist or how does this actually, you yeah, know, but what actually... about reality TM? Right. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> Um, and to speak Adrian Marie Brown's name again, like that is a huge teaching I learned from Adrian Marie Brown. I think there was an interview that they did and they said something along the lines of, um, when, when things are off or when I can, when I, when I can sense something isn't right, that's how I know that I'm in someone else's dream or something like that, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know? And, and it's true that like, exactly everything we're living is someone's dream, you know, mm-hmm. like, I mean, so we better get in there and like do some dreaming, you know, yeah, like, yeah. We, yeah. Like we better build a world because someone else has already done it and will continue to do it, you know? Right. They have no hesitation, right? Yeah. They're not like, should I make capitalism? I don't know. Right. You know, but like thanks to Walt Disney, who is an incredible world builder, mm-hmm. right? Like, wow, what a legacy. 
of imagination. We associate dreaming with um, fairy tales and princesses and and Disney fiction, Mm -hmm. you know, especially in this part of the world, uh, you know, like colonized Turtle Island and the Americas, like, um, but it's global, right? That's been, he, he had a global impact. Right. And so dreaming has become this thing of like, you know, rainbows and butterflies and like, what's your wildest dream, you know? Mm-hmm. And I, what's, what's so important to me is to bring dreaming back into shamanic or an indigenous concept. Like this is the first thing Don Miguel Ruiz talks about in his book, The Four Agreements. Mm-hmm. And I think the, the tagline of the book is like a practical guide to a purposeful life. And the first thing he talks about is how this is all a dream and how we're participating in other people's dreams and we're conditioned by other people's dreams, you know? So he's using dream in a very neutral way. You know, it's not like dream is always amazing and fantastical and, you know, something to reach for. It's just like, no, dream is a function of reality. Like it's the projection field, we could say, you know? Right. Um, It's the imagination because everything about how we engage with reality comes from imagination, you know, I feel like I've used this example in more than one other podcast interview, but these laptops that we're on right now, someone imagined, right. you know, like everything comes from that dream realm. And so when you can bring dreams out of the like Walt Disney empire into the <laughs> neutral empire, then you begin to be able to really identify, okay, whose dream am I dreaming here? You know, what are my dreams, you know, positive, negative, indifferent, whatever, you know, and that also means taking dreaming out of oppressive empire as being something that's foolish, delusional, irresponsible, immature, mm-hmm. you know? So these two extremes of like what dreaming is, neutralizing them by being like, no, everything is dreaming. Yeah. And, you know, I'm a huge sci-fi nerd, so I love like the world building, you know, aspect of that. And uh, actually right before we hopped on right now, I'm reading, um, have you heard of Becky Chambers, the author Becky Chambers? Sound vaguely um, familiar. She has a series, um, basically not to give any spoilers, but the premise mm-hmm. of this world is that there there was a robot um, class that had like an awakening and mm-hmm. left humanity and went to the forest. And one of the robots encounters uh, a young monk in the forest and they become friends. And it's very, it's very touching. It's a great series. But um, the robot one night reads a book about consciousness and learns that, um, yeah, and learns that uh, basically that consciousness has evolved as part of, you know, evolution. And so certain animals have developed different kinds of consciousness and levels of consciousness based on their needs. And the robot's like, so this means that it's an external impulse that that makes us have consciousness, you know, I wonder what the external impulse was that made us robots wake up, you know, like what was mm. that? So it made me think about you and and want to know what the impulse was in your life to wake up to this idea of world building. Oh, wow. What an incredible lead up to a great question. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to snap for that. That's so good. <laughs> so on the one hand, I feel like This is just who I've always been and what I've always been doing, you know? And I was like, I would get in trouble so much as a kid for daydreaming, Mm. you know? But what I I wasn't like really thinking of anything specifically. I would literally be looking out the window, like at nature, just feeling the sensations 
of the beauty of nature, you know, mm-hmm. I wasn't thinking, I wasn't daydreaming about like, Oh, can we take it this candy? You know, like it was just yeah. a very like <laughs> euphoric experience. Um, and so kind of like coming up as a dreamer and then receiving my disillusionment, which started with entering the workforce. And then I think really happened when I entered into puritanical political ideology. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went through like a radicalization process on what would be called the so-called left. Um, and I say so-called because like identity authoritarianism isn't actually a solidarity strategy towards building economic or social power. Mm-hmm. That's a conversation for another time. <laughs> um, <laughs> so being in puritanical political ideologies where it's like, um, the world is terrible and you should always be thinking about that. And you should be posting and saying about everything all the time that happens, or you don't care and you're privileged and blah, 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 blah. blah. And look at this horrible video and look at this horrible picture. And just like the nightmare, the dream of the nightmare of mm-hmm. being alive on this planet at this time. Oh, that was such a painful, like disillusioning moment for me. My moment, I mean, several years. where I was just like so immersed in that and so like you know trying to be good trying to be right I just like I switched my religion you know from Mm. like religion to (laughs) another puritanical ideology trying to please God right yeah um and so at some point you know which this is what they don't tell you kids but at some point in that radicalization process you will reach a peak of rage and you will descend through a deep drop down into grief you know it can be grief but more often looks like depression and giving up and nihilism right yeah yeah but what it really is is grief and so that eventually happened to me and I knew that I had to make a choice about how I was going to move forward you know I knew that I had to make a choice about whether I was going to continue to subscribe to dominant culture, you know, dominant reality, the constructs and like centralizing that, mm-hmm. you know, it's one thing to be aware of something. It's another thing to centralize it. And it was this process of like unlearning cancel culture, which I've done some work on in the past and unlearning these puritanical ideologies and also kind of divorcing myself from giving up my power, giving up my world creating power to a culture, to a community, to a school of thought, Mm -hmm. you know, where it's like, okay, I have to put this power somewhere. So I'm going to plug it in into, you know, what these people are doing or saying or thinking. And so, yeah, I had to decide whether I was going to be someone who believed that healing is possible and that a new world is possible or not. Right. You know, I couldn't stay in that limbo state of like, I don't know if it is or isn't. I don't know if it is or, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, it's important to be there at some point, you know, if you go through this process of like disillusionment and like all of this, because it allows you that that liminality is always an opportunity to develop neutrality. And from that neutrality, you can make a decision that's actually rooted in your values, your principles, your interests. Right. You know, I'm interested in what's generative right now. I'm interested in what's impacting people's spirits right now because I'm not a material realm worker. 
Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm not, I don't do work that um, always immediately impacts the material conditions of those who are suffering. And I think that's important work. And I think all spiritual work is political work and vice versa, if we like allow ourselves to close that gap. And so that's kind of what I did. I closed that gap between this like political identity that I had and the spiritual identity I had like on the side, quote unquote. And I was like, no, these are the same thing. And if that's true, then that means I need to be moving differently. And I I need to like have my eyes towards the future uh, because that's like who I've always been. You know, and I think some people are here to have their eyes towards the past and some people are here to have their eyes towards the material conditions. And, you know, like I really had to come to understand my role, Yeah, which is something I talk about in how to build your dream world 2.0, the communal edition. Like I get into like, how do you recognize your role? What are the stages of initiation to becoming a world builder, et cetera? How does astrology play into um, like world building in the dream world for you? Because I, as I was thinking about that, I was wondering how sort of destiny plays in or if you even view Mm. the natal chart in that way or you know like like what does it mean to have a dream world and then to kind of layer that on top of like what is in your natal chart you know what I mean like how how do you think about that yeah I use the natal chart my own and you know when I do readings as a template for the world that I'm building in my personal life and like the external worlds I'm most likely to be interested in contributing to, mm-hmm. you know, so like looking at my chart, you know, any good astrologer would read like, oh yeah, spiritual work or like metaphysical work or whatever, you know? So just like being able to look at the chart as a template for like, where do I direct my world creating power? Cause I think the world creating power is like, it's neutral as well. You can create any kind of world. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of in the center and then like the planetary ancestors and their movements around this dimension, around this planet, kind of like give us information about what conversations were happening at that time, what conversations were the planetary ancestors having at that time, what time was it on the clock of the world, as Grace Lee Boggs says, when you were born. Mm. She doesn't say the astrology. She just says, what time is it on the (laughs) clock of the world? Um, And so I look at astrology like that. I'm like, okay, natal astrology specifically. I'm like, this is a template for like where you might you know, want to direct your world creating power, not want to, as in like, I recommend this, but want to, as like, do you want to, you know? Like, yeah. <laughs> um, and then outside of the natal chart, I, I'm just in so much awe and reverence and devotion to the planetary ancestors for being these sentient extraterrestrial beings that we've been communicating with for thousands of years just through like sitting our ass on the ground and looking at the night sky, you know, (laughs) I love, like, I think I wrote about this once, but people are like, you know, when will we make alien contact? You know? (laughs) And I'm like, well, if you, if alien is an extraterrestrial, then we've already done that. We have an entire system like downloaded from those communications. Mm. And so the way that I overlay astrology onto world building is like, each planet represents a world building function or represents a principle of natural law represents like an aspect of, of um, energy or force that we experience in our reality in this dimension, this dimension being, you know, planet earth. We can't speak to how reality operates in other planets or realms, whatever, you know? Mm -hmm. And so understanding them as, 
these like these ancestors like they've they've been communicating with us for so long they like out age us and they have all this this wisdom just from what they represent you know or what they've communicated that they represent that we can apply to like, how do we want to navigate this moment in time? How do we want to navigate our lives? You know, how do we want to navigate the self? My mind is blown even in this moment, just just thinking about that this is my job. You know, it's like communicating with extraterrestrial beings to like develop templates and frameworks and descriptions and existential concepts for reality, for being alive on this planet at this time. Yeah, yeah. Something else that you do in your world building is um, you left space for us to bring up um, tensions that we might be feeling. And you, I liked that you framed it as playing with the tension. Um, and it seems like you like to think of things as hot seats, which I kind of think is fun too. You, you talk about hot seats a lot, but um, you know, after we had kind of set and and kind of done some world building on our own for 10 minutes, we came back and we talked about the things that, um, we were struggling with, you know, the places where the things that we felt like we were bumping up against. Um, and so I, I just wonder, I wonder what you see the role of tension playing like in that process of creation. Mm-hmm. Tension is everything. Tension is life force. Tension is the friction of creation. You know, that tension is what makes sets so good. Like if you ever had sets without tension, you know, without any of that, like that buildup or that desire or like the friction of the actual act itself, Mm -hmm. you know, that you're probably, you're like, "Mm." (laughs) that that was cute, but you know, like we all actually want that tension. Right. So that doesn't apply just to sets. It applies to life. Cause I feel like sets is just, it's a fractal of like, an act of creation, right? Mm. An act of creating an experience, you know, for for us gays, or <laughs> an act of creating a being, you know, for the heteros, um, you know, like mm-hmm. just to play with that binary for a moment. But it's like that that creative thing can do so many things, right? Does not it's not outcome oriented, actually, you know, it's actually a small fraction that people are having sets to have kids. The rest of it is for play and pleasure, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and so that is a mirror of being alive and like interacting with the, the realms, like the spiritual realm, the emotional realm, the physical realm, the relational realm, all of these realms operate on the same principles, the same fundamentals of natural law. And one of the principles of natural law is tension, that kind of like the contraction and the expansion, the rubbing up against, you know, it's how fire was born, they say. Um, And so (laughs) tension, without tension, there's no, there's no pressure to direct, right? There's no like buildup of energy to move in a direction. Right. You know, so it's the engagement with tension, the playing with tension, the resolving of tension mm-hmm. that allows for movement, momentum, acceleration, creation. Yeah. So what I'm wondering, because this this goes back to my whole like river um, image. And as I was thinking about like going into this dream world where I'm leaving behind the tension of critique, you know, and like of rubbing up against uh, not being understood or, you know, things like that, which do sometimes really fire my creativity, you know, like that does make me think in a way and kind of get things going. 
So I think it's easy to think of like world building in the dream world as sort of like a utopia. Um, but I agree that tension is really necessary for life and not all tension is something that we can kind of, um, opt into, you know, sometimes we are, we experience tensions and we we may not like them. They may not feel good, but it does create something, you know, and kind of force something to happen. So I'm sure that you hear this from other clients, but like, what is that role in the building of one's world? Like, do you, do we build tension into our world building or do we just kind of leave space to know that there may be tensions that arise that we can't foresee or, you know, like, how do you think of that? Yeah, I love that. I think all of the above, I think people have different ratios. So I feel like some people like to have some tension, mm-hmm. you know, and this might be something they they don't want to admit to themselves, you know, mm-hmm. um, this is at me, um, yeah. <laughs> you know, just like to have some tension because it gives that kind of like, oh, I'm like chewing on this. I'm gnawing on this. So, you know, I'm in friction with this. Like I feel the the buildup happening. Yeah. And then some people are like, no, I, I really want ease. Um, and so it's just like turning the volume down on tension, like how much tension you're leaving room for and how much tension you're allowing yourself to create mm-hmm. because we naturally create tension, you know, like we don't have to think about doing it. And also reality naturally creates it. We have all these other people on the planet. We have all these different factors, you know, there's going to be tension, there's going to be friction. And so I think that's, part of playing with tension is getting clear on your relationship to it, right? Which starts with neutralizing it, not making it a bad thing. Like the tension is a sign that I'm doing something wrong is a commonly held fundamental belief Mm -hmm. that a lot of people, especially creative people have, you know, but I feel like the more creative you become, the more creative you are, the more exciting or generative tension becomes right because they're they're mirrored they're married they're intertwined they're entangled mm-hmm. um and so tension like i wouldn't say that i wouldn't say to build a world like with or through tension like i wouldn't say to centralize the tension right just like what i was mm-hmm. talking about the political stuff like that's a big tension to centralize tension is to really like exhaust yourself you know mm-hmm. so like you said like leaving the room for the fact that it's going to naturally come up and also leaving the room for the fact that you create it effortlessly you know and that like when it comes up it's trying to give you data like hey i don't like this or hey i want more of this in my life or in myself you know or hey this is not satisfying it's all data it's just trying to communicate so the first step is to not make it wrong and then you can like because you're willing to play with the tension, because you're willing to have a conversation with it, it becomes energy. Mm-hmm. Like it becomes neutralized energy that you can direct anywhere. And that's how you start building. Because to build is to make decisions, make choices and take action. Right. Yeah. That just gave me a million thoughts, but I'm I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna stay on topic because um we're coming towards <laughs> towards the end. And I there's one other question I want to definitely make sure to ask you. And this one is like a little bit um I don't know. I, I'm curious to get your thoughts on this because this is just something that came into my uh field recently and I and I would love to kind of bounce the idea off of you. So right now I'm taking Leah Garza's um living systems course and nice. which is very much about like decolonialism and the other day in class, I was hit with this wave of like, like, what is wanting, you know, what is want, like, what is desire, um, which I, I think is different than 
need, like, like, you know, needs that I have just to stay alive, but like wants, you know, and so right now I'm in a place where I'm kind of between full-time jobs, you know, my tarot work is my part-time job, but I'm between full-time jobs. And I just have been in a place of kind of career upheaval for a while now. And just, just started to ask myself, like, what is it that I want? Where does want come from? Um, could I ever be without want, you know, like, like what would that, I I don't think so, but what would that be, you know? So I don't know if that brings anything up for you, this idea of want, um, and in relation maybe to world building, but yeah, I'm just curious to hear like what comes up for you with that. Yeah, that's so key. It's so crucial. Like without that, that impetus towards desire, towards wanting, there's no world to build because you're like, everything is fine as is, you know? Right. Right. Um, and not even like in a derogatory way. You're just like, mm-hmm, it is what it is, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting because I think desire is something that can be entered into from so many different access points and it can be reverse engineered or like directly engineered. So you can have a desire arise that you're like, okay, I want to respond to this through creating something, through building something through, you know, whatever. Um, or you can reverse engineer it by having a dream having a vision, having a goal or ideal, and then asking yourself, what does this dream, vision, what does it tell me about what I want? And I think that's sometimes like easier for me. I've experienced that, which is why dreaming is incorporated into my world building work. Cause it's hard for me to come up sometimes with like, let's say if I had to come up with three things I desire, you know, I'm like, I'm, I'm in deep acceptance. What do you mean? You know, (laughs) um, I'm not attached. Uh, So sometimes it can be easier to be like, you know, get clear on like, what's your dream? What's your vision, you know, for a period of time or for your life. And then kind of reverse engineer and move down from there scale it down and be like, okay, well, what does that, what does that then mean? Like what things would need to happen for that? Like what sensations, relationships, whatever, like what's the feeling of it? And getting to the feeling of it, it's like, that's, well, that's what you want. You want the feeling of that. And so I think bringing desire into the realm of sensation is really important. Mm-hmm. And I had a moment with this earlier too, where I was like, I was having this like emotional release and I experienced a sensation of like my body opening up in my heart space. And it felt like in that moment, it was like, oh yes, this is what I'm looking for. Like, this is what I'm looking for when I'm looking for a partner. This mm. is what I'm looking for when I'm looking for, um, you know, friendship. This is what I'm looking for when I'm looking for, just insert other heart-related things here. <laughs> you know, like, I was like, it's actually that sensation. And like, this moment of experience, this sensation is as satisfying as having an external object that's generating the sensation, mm-hmm. you know, or object or person or whatever. And so- Something I always tell my 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 clients is your desires are your clearest prophecies, like your mm-hmm. deepest desires, right? Not the ones that kind of like float by like a cloud in the sky, but like the deep ones that remain, that sustain, that like still live down there anchored in you mm-hmm. somewhere. Those are prophecies. And what I mean by that is that desire is the force of creation, right? It's like without that, there isn't anything that desire is actually the primordial void wanting to express itself through 
this material realm, right? Through this third dimension. And so allowing desire to be sacred and honored and not just looked at as a a thing that's about you getting things outside of yourself, Mm -hmm. but a thing that's about you being in deep relationship with your dream self, with your God self, with this one life that you have, Mm -hmm. you know, so there's something about desire that can bring you deep into right relationship with your mortality. Mm-hmm. You know, like, where does this life force, where does this primordial void that sits within me, you know, like in my pelvis, in the seat of my power, where does it want to be directed? Because those are my directives for my time here. Those are my prophecies. Those are what I will to become. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And it's making me realize the importance of like uh, identifying the different kinds of desires, like you're saying, like the different, um, you know, the desire that is what you just described, that primordial force versus a desire that's being, that you're being told you should want, you know, that's like coming from outside of you, you know, like, yeah, those are expectations. Right. They they get conflated a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And, and, um, and I love that idea of like bringing it into the body so that you can know when you feel that, that you found it, you know, mm-hmm. like by, by the feeling of it. Um, mm-hmm. Cause yeah. that's what these bodies are for. Like, if you're not feeling it, if you're not experiencing the sensations of it, you know, like, I don't just mean feeling like emotion, right? Right. just like the physical sensation of it. Like that's what this corporeal form is for. It's to move through this realm and like actually experience it, actually touch it, be pressed up against the flesh of like incarnation. Right. So all your desires, all your dreaming, all your world building, all your spiritual practice should be changing and shaping this corporeal form. I feel like I tweet this annually, but like if your <laughs> if your spiritual practice or your your mystical practice, your even your metaphysical practice, you know, um, if it's not changing you, if it's not changing your life, then it's not being grounded into this, you know, the precious reality that everyone likes to, you know, (laughs) like put on this, this hierarchy and like, you know, people worship this concept of reality being this one thing. That's, that's a fucking God, Mm -hmm. you know, like they just, like, I feel like they just replace the like monotheistic God ideal with the monotheistic reality ideal, Mm -hmm. you know, and that doesn't, trying to stay realistic and trying to have your spiritual practice keep you either tethered or removed from this realm, you know, isn't the point. The point is the alchemy of the body. The point is that it does change you. You know, like Octavia Butler said, everything you touch, you change. Everything you change changes you. The only lasting truth is change. God is change. Mm -hmm you're not in relationship with that and you're not in as deep of a relationship with God as you could be if you so desire to be right yeah you know not everyone's into that yeah I love that you just brought Octavia Butler up because that's what I I was going to share that in the beginning that's that's my most favorite like vision of God right now is that is change you know just Mm -hmm. that it's it's that that evolution and that and that because it's true. Like that's, that is the one thing that we can kind of count on is like that. It's mm-hmm. going to keep, there's going to be going to happen with or without you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, amazing. So, um, my last question for you is a question I ask all my guests, um, which is wanting to know what you are in search of right now in your life. 
I was going to say that I'm in search of congruence, but then I realized that I may not actually be in search of congruence. I'm in, in the practice of congruence and in search of the results and the impact of my congruence on the material realm. Mm. So kind of what I just talked about, right? About like being changed and feeling the sensations and the actual like physical experience of spirit, of God, of, of my reality move through me. That's what I'm in search of. I'm in search of more of that. I want to turn the volume up on that. You know, I want to like get to the next level of the game with that, you know? Um, I want to feel the impact. I want to experience the results of my congruence, you know, of, of God's work in my life through me as a little, a little facet of the prism of God, you know? Yeah. 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 I love that. Um, yeah. So thank you so much for this incredible conversation. Um, and I want you to tell everybody how they can find you and work with you. Um, if you have anything coming up this spring that you want to talk about specifically, but just how people can, um, get to know you better. Yeah, I don't know what I'll have going on this spring. I just say that out loud because it's cool to think that I have no idea. (laughs) You know, it's like, oh, wow, the future. Um, But in general, you can find me at saltwaterstars.com. And I have readings and uh, those are astrology informed readings. Um, And I have mentorship. So you can work with me for three or six weeks to build your dream world. I have teachings up in my shop available for instant download. And I have a membership that's free or paid on Substack, which is called the dream realm. And that's where I do all my writing. And that is a must. Everyone go do that (laughs) right now, right now. Um, Yeah. Ari, thank you so much. This is, this has been a dream. (laughs) Oh, thank you. In Search of Tarot is independently written, recorded, edited, and transcribed by Nick Kepley and Angie Miller. You can follow Angie on Instagram at birdgirl underscore, that's B-I-R-D-G-E-R-H-L underscore. And you can follow me, Nick, on Instagram at In Search of Tarot. Have a question or a comment? Email us at isotpod at gmail.com. We also invite you to leave us a rating and review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts.